Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Today's episode is brought to you by Vivo Life. We all know the importance of a healthy diet, but it can be difficult to get all the daily nutrients that we need. Vivo Life makes my favorite health supplements. They are a completely vegan company with sustainability at the forefront of everything they do. I take their vitamins B12, D3, and omega-3 daily, as these are the key nutrients that can be hard to find when you're following a plant-based diet. And I really like them because they come in a convenient liquid dropper form. They taste good too. Vivo Life have recently partnered with the Akanksha Education Fund, who are a non-profit organization that have been changing the lives of children from low-income families in India since 1991. For every pack of Vivo's new Magic Chaga Chai Latte sold, they'll be donating 100% of net profits direct to this organization. So if you're looking for healthy, sustainable, plant-based supplements that taste really wonderful, then head over to vivolife.co.uk and you can use the discount code ATST10 to get 10% off your first purchase. That's vivolife.co.uk and discount code ATST10. I think it's really important just to do what makes you happy and not give yourself a hard time. If you are staying up late, don't judge yourself. If you're scrolling through Instagram too much, don't judge yourself. Just do it and let it go. I think what we do that's problematic is we tell ourselves we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't be doing that. It's all about self-acceptance. And then things get into balance and our addictions start to slightly kind of dissipate if we're not giving ourselves such a hard time over them. Hello, it's Venetia and welcome back to All The Small Things. If you're new here, please do be sure to follow and subscribe as I would love to have you back for each of the episodes of this nine-part season. This week, I am so delighted to be joined by my friend, Gilong Tupton. Tupton is a Buddhist monk, meditation teacher and author. He became a monk 26 years ago at Samye Leng Tibetan Monastery in Scotland and has spent over six years in intensive meditation retreats, the longest of which was four years long. He is now regarded as one of the UK's most influential meditation teachers, with pioneering work teaching in universities, schools, companies such as Google, hospitals, prisons and rehab centres. Tupton has lectured at Oxford University and the United Nations, and he provides courses to medical students, doctors and nurses. He even trained Benedict Cumberbatch and Tilda Swinton in meditation on the set of the Marvel movie Doctor Strange, and he collaborated with Ruby Wax and neuroscientist Ashran Pura on the book and theatre tour How to Be Human. He's had a full life. Tupton is the author of the Sunday Times bestseller A Monk's Guide to Happiness. You might have seen me put it on my Instagram stories a couple of times because I just adored it. And his next book, Handbook for Hard Times, will be published in 2022. In this podcast, we talk about what meditation is, how to ease anxiety and cope with trauma, interconnectivity, compassion, gratitude, and the importance of having a daily practice. 
Now, just a forewarning, towards the end of the interview, Tupton takes us through a very short but very sweet guided meditation. Now, I'm aware that a lot of you listen to this podcast when you're not in a position to be meditating, but please make sure that you return to this part of the show at some point today, as I just love the idea of us all meditating together. And if you've never meditated before, today is the day. As always, hit the show notes for links to my guests. And without any further ado, here is Galong Tupton on All the Small Things. Now, I would actually like to start in a slightly different way to, to usual. And I would love to just wind back the clocks and hear about you and your life and your path to becoming a Buddhist monk. So let's start by just hearing a little bit about where you grew up and your family and kind of your start in life. Yeah, so I grew up in the south of England, um, born to an Indian mother and an English father. And in my upbringing, there was a lot of spirituality, there was a lot, lot of Buddhism, but both my parents are interested in Buddhism, but also a kind of openness to all spiritual traditions. And it was a very kind of, maybe I could say like a multi-spiritual household. Um, but I myself never meditated or read any Buddhist books or anything like that. It was just kind of there in the background. And what happened to me was when I got into my late teens and started to really suffer, I started to have a lot of depression and anxiety and um, even panic attacks, um, which led to a major sort of burnout. Um, what happened to me during that burnout was that I naturally turned to meditation because it had already been kind of introduced to me in my childhood that that resource was there. Um so, so when I, I got very ill when I was twenty-one with with a um, uh, kind of breakdown, sort of burnout, with I had heart problems and my uh, my mind was just a complete mess. I was in a terrible state, and I basically stayed stayed in bed for a few months, just not able to do much. And I was re I started to read a lot. I started to read a lot of books about meditation because I was staying with my mom, and she had all these books. And then a friend told me about a Buddhist monastery in Scotland called Sami Ling, where they'd started a whole uh, process where you could become a monk for a year. And she told me about this, and she said she was going there to be a nun for a year. And I just it just struck me as something I'd like to do. And I said, can I come with you? She said, sure, maybe this will help you. And I went there. I went to the monastery, and within four days, I was a monk, but it was only going to be for a year, so that made it feel sort of manageable. It was just a one-year thing. And, of course, what happened is I stayed. I loved it, and I stayed, and I got deeper and deeper into it. And eventually, after a few years, took took the commitment to be a monk for my whole life. But the initial entry into it was almost like rehab. It was literally like just get away from the world for a year, sort your head out, and then you can go back to whatever you were doing before. But I stayed. In the days before I was a monk, I, I was pretty wild. I was kind of a party animal, and I was involved in. I was a musician, then I was an actor, and in my lifestyle then was completely not like a monk at all. And if anyone then had said to me, "In a few years, you're going to be a monk in a monastery," I would have, I would have laughed, and all my friends would have laughed. So it it was a very radical move, and and it didn't feel like the kind of thing I would have done, but. When I did it, I felt completely 
right. I felt like everything had clicked into place. I remember the feeling after I put the robes on. You go through a ceremony where you're in the in the monastery and you you take these vows and you put the robes on and then you're a monk. And I remember after the ceremony, literally feeling all the cells in my body just click into place. I felt completely like I'd come home. And so I do think life can be like that, that you just end up in the right place at the right time and it feels right. And it's it's great when that happens. And it happens in small ways to people every day where they just feel that they are in the right place where they're meant to be. But wouldn't you say that can also be an attitude thing? I mean, you can make that decision. You can decide, even if you're in quite a difficult situation, you can decide this is meant to be. This is, I'm here right now. So this is the truth of this reality right now. And I have something to learn. I have something to offer. It's all meant to be, if you take that as, as an attitude. Don't you find in life that when you let go and you don't have that push of, I, I'm desperate for this to work, you give the space for it to actually blossom and what, whether it's relationship, career, any situation. When you take your foot off the pedal and you just allow I mean, I don't mean just kind of drifting through life with no ambition. I just mean having less of a desperate clinging to outcomes. Yeah, I definitely. Think the right outcome. I think the right outcome comes when you stop pushing for it. You stop searching and you allow. You just let go and allow. Absolutely. That's certainly been my experience. Something I think you're always very brilliant at is describing what exactly meditation is and also what it isn't. So for anyone who is a little bit confused about meditation, could you tell us briefly what it is and definitely what it is not? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to to approach it from the angle of what it is not, because there are so many commonly held ideas about it, uh, many misconceptions. You know, People often think meditation is a bit like switching off and drifting away. And it's a bit like, you know, shutting your eyes, clearing your mind and drifting off into another world, which sounds very nice. I mean, that's a very attractive proposal, isn't it? Just to kind of drift away. But it's actually not like that. And it's impossible to do that. If you if you sit there and try and clear your mind, the more you try and clear your mind, the louder your sh- your thoughts shout inside your head. They just start shouting loudly and pushing the thoughts away makes them worse. So it's not that. It's actually much more about awareness. It's about being in the present moment, being focused, being aware, being um, in the here and now. And then it's also about changing your relationship with your thoughts. Thoughts, emotions, memories, anything going on inside your head. We have a really complex relationship with that stuff in that we sometimes are able to be the boss in that we can make decisions. I'm going to think about this or think about that, but very often not. You know, have we ever, have you ever thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm not going to think about such and such. Well, you just start thinking about it, don't you? The more you try not to, so something painful or worries or fears or, or painful memories, these things control us to such a large extent. Our mind goes to places we don't want our mind to go to. And so that relationship with our own thoughts is really complex. And meditation is about transforming that relationship because you learn how to let go. You learn how to come back to your breath from the thought that took you away. And every time you come back to your breath, you are asserting some kind of independence or freedom within your own mind. 
this podcast is so much about rituals and habits and routines and whether or not we're kind of certain people do well with structure others do well kind of in the chaos of it all and things just magically manage to get done but I'd love to hear about whether or not you commit to things like a morning routine or there are any kind of practices that you do at specific times of the day and this may well be meditation that you find very very helpful yeah I I think uh what's helpful is to have a commitment to a daily practice, but it doesn't have to be hugely long. If you're a very busy person, you have lots of responsibilities, you've still got 10 minutes that you can take to, to yourself, for yourself and do some meditation every day. And then it's also about those small moments during the day. I mean, I'll tell you an interesting story about myself. When, when I joined the monastery, they really threw me in at the deep end in that the first time I meditated, it was a two hour long session. And it was a group thing. All, all of us sat there for two hours. And I, I found it really hard because I didn't really know what, what am I supposed to do for two hours. And then, of course, they started to teach me and I started to uh, learn more about it. And eventually I, I was doing a two-hour practice each day on my own. And that was my thing. But I did find that there was a huge division between the me that was sitting down on a cushion meditating and the me that was going through the rest of my day. There was like a division, it was a split, in that I was, I found it hard to kind of carry it into my daily life. That that sounds very familiar. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so what changed for me was, I mean, I'm sure there were many moments, but there was one moment in particular when I'd come down to London to visit my mum, and I was going to a few meetings, I was doing some things in London, and I was on the tube, and I was feeling tired and I was feeling a bit kind of grumpy and stressed and all of that stuff. And I just thought, well, nothing's stopping you meditating right now here. I was standing up in the tube carrying heavy bags. I thought, well, why don't you just try it? So I decided that from one stop to the next with alternate stops, I would go into a kind of meditation, just standing there and feeling the ground under my feet, feeling the the um, sway of the train, just just feeling the moment so not not a rigid, formal, sitting down, meditating, but just a casual drop-in. And I played a little game with myself where I would do it from one station to the next and then have a break and then another station to the next. And I found that that changed things for me because after that I started to have little moments during the day where I would just be standing in a queue in the in the shop and feel the ground under me or be aware of my breathing while I'm waiting for a bus or sitting behind a desk, just feel the chair. It, these tiny moments, when you build them up during the day, that becomes meditation in daily life. That's being mindful. And I think combining the two is really essential. So now I do a short session every day, always, even when I'm ill, I always always just do my meditation with, without much quality control. I'll just do it badly. I'll just do it, you know. <laughs> it's about doing it every day and not giving yourself a hard time over it. And then I will try to also just remember to practice those mini moments, which are very casual, very integrated into daily life. I find that really helpful because I think, and really interesting because I think, you know, so often now when we have these little moments when we're potentially able to check in with ourselves and be more present, we just re reach for our phones and we scroll and take in 
a lot of information. Um, are, do you have concerns about our kind of lack of uh, ability to be bored? Because often we're reaching for our phones, not because we need to, but because we're bored or it's something to do. It's something to occupy ourselves. Ultimately, it's something to help us feel less alone. Do you have concerns about the way that the majority of us, I would say, are using these moments where we could be checking in with ourselves, but instead of checking in with the world? Yeah, it's true, isn't it? And I I noticed this for myself very strongly because um, I went away for, to a long retreat in 2005 um so it's a thing you do in the monastery where you go into a four a four-year-long retreat um on an island off the coast of scotland the isle of arran and i went into that retreat with you know a bunch of other monks and we did this group retreat where you're completely cut off from the outside world and you're even cut off from each other a lot of the time because you're sitting alone in your room meditating all day in, in very structured sessions so for that four-year period, there was no contact with the outside world at all, except one letter a month from your family. Wow. And then when I came out of that retreat, the smartphones had, had all been launched. You know, when I came out of the retreat in 2009, everything had changed. It was during those four years that the iPhone was launched, things like Facebook, YouTube, all of that stuff, all just exploded into the world at a very similar time. And so for me, it was quite shocking because I'd been out of the speed of life and then coming back in, I, I arrived back in London and saw all of this. And it was quite a jolt to the system because everything was moving so fast and everyone was walking around with their heads buried in phones. And it felt like something had changed quite radically and people's mental health was now starting to uh, bear the burden of that. You know the way we the way we process information is so different now, isn't it? The news comes to us all day through through notifications and I mean social media. I mean all of that's got a, a good side and a bad side. There's a good side to all of it. I mean technology is great. Look at what we're able to do during lockdown. We're all able to communicate and do stuff and educate each other. And there's a great side to it. And technology can save lives as well in terms of medicine and all kinds of other things. Science. But like anything in life, if it gets out of balance, it can be unhealthy. It's like that with food, isn't it? If you eat too much of what you love, you end up ill. So it's the same with the phone is that we, it is addictive just to keep scrolling and looking and checking and needing, needing validation. That's a big thing with social media, isn't it? That We've got a very different way of living our experiences now in that we're having a, if we're having a nice time, one of the first impulses is photograph it, post it, and check if other people like it. So are we having experiences anymore or, or are we having experiences that have a whole set of conditions around them before we can fully enjoy them? You know, am, I, am I really happy right now? I better check. I'll check if other people say I'm happy, then I must be happy. I think those are really important questions for us to ask ourselves. And thank you also for bringing the necessary nuance to your answer. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I loved your book, by the way. I just... Thank you. I, honestly, I, I think I, I read it probably, yeah, a year ago now, and it's just been a pleasure to kind of dip back into it. Um, but one of the things I highlighted when I read it for the, the first time was when you say, of course, we need to pay the bills, support our families, and generally contribute to society. But we have constructed a culture in which we are no longer simply growing the food we need to eat and protecting ourselves from danger. We are now locked into a complex matrix of buying, selling, comparing, insuring, communicating, and endless growth. The system has become exhausting to maintain. The planet is unable to sustain our demands. And meanwhile, we run around our cities, busy all day, keeping the system running. We validate ourselves through this achievement how do you think this system of excess and infinite growth is contributing to our collective health and how do you think this might potentially have changed post-pandemic well that's a huge question it was terrifying wasn't it when when the pandemic hit and all these lockdowns started and we started to all notice the toll on the economy and how it, it, it's hurting people's livelihoods. And then we st- we're all starting to think, well, this system that we've constructed can just be destroyed in one moment by a, a tiny, tiny virus. And how would it have been if the, if the pandemic struck centuries ago before we had this, this kind of need for constant growth and this very complex economy, it would have been very different, wouldn't it? And yeah, I do think that we're locked in now to a very, very complex system of endless growth. And it 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 obviously harms the planet. It's obviously the planet cannot sustain our greed. Our greed is endless and the planet is limited. The resources are limited and we want more. There's a problem there, isn't it? When we want so much and there isn't that much. Is mm-hmm. that, that, there's no there's no way that can work. And it's not so healthy for us mentally. We we are more dissatisfied. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about well, funny but yeah, interesting story about this. So, my teachers are all are all Tibetans. I, I follow Tibetan Buddhism, and my teachers are Tibetan monks, and you know they're called lamas, pe- people who are teachers in Tibet. So they all they came to the West in the in the sixties. Tibet was closed off to Western civilization for centuries. And then in 1959, uh, China invaded Tibet, and a lot of the um, Tibetans became refugees. They fled over the mountains into India and became refugees. And then many of them came to the West. And there were these very great teachers, these great meditation teachers who who came to the West and st- started meditation centers and monasteries and things. And, and 
they've told me that when they first, because they'd grown up in places where there weren't even any motor cars or electricity, they'd grown up above the tree line uh, in in the highest mountains of Tibet. And they told me that when they first came to Europe and the States, the thing that struck them instantly was they thought, wow, these people live in complete luxury. Everything, everything is automated for them. They don't even have to use their hand to open a door. It opens automatically. They want some money. It flies out of the wall. They want food. It arrives in two minutes or less than two minutes. Everything's so, so um, comfortable for them. They must be so happy. These people must be just, and of course, through talking to us in the West and starting to teach us meditation, these Tibetans realize that we're more more miserable and dissatisfied and and neurotic maybe than than they had imagined. So it hasn't really worked for us, hasn't it? Hasn't worked out for us all this these comforts and um, the the ease of life that we have. It hasn't worked for us. It's just made us more dissatisfied, and that's because of the psychology of need and the psychology of greed. Greed, need, wanting, searching, hoping, expecting, these just lead to more of themselves. The more we need, the more we need. It doesn't lead to less need, it leads to more. And of course, that's very cleverly manipulated by the advertising industry, people who want to sell us stuff. They manipulate the fact that we're always going to be dissatisfied and we're locked into that and maybe we don't even see it. So, I don't know. I, the the pandemic has has done something in the. It, it's horrible, obviously terrible. What's happened? But did it give us some breathing space from that? I don't know. Um, will we go back to normal? What is normal? Was normal working in the first place? These are all huge questions, aren't they? And I think as we come out of lockdown, maybe we'll start to think about this. Well, are we just going to go back to how we were, or is there something deeper we could discover about life? I really loved hearing this story about the Tibetans. So thank you for that. And I definitely think that the pandemic revealed so much injustice that was already there. We certainly weren't all in it together uh, in the same way as some celebrities claimed. So hopefully more of us will be thinking more deeply. Now, please, can we talk about the difference between internal freedom and external freedom? Yeah, this is quite a major theme in my book. The, the book is about meditation. It's about happiness. I mean, we called it a monk's guide to happiness. But then I start to define happiness more in terms of freedom. I start to equate those two because I'm not talking about just a kind kind of temporary happiness where you just feel great and you have a nice time. I mean, that's great, but it's not sustainable, is it? Sustainable happiness is much more connected to freedom, which is where you look, can we learn to free our minds from the habits and feelings and thoughts that drag us down and make us unhappy. So external versus internal. Well, well, freedom, yeah, we are externally free in many ways in that we live in a culture where, I mean, there's more work to be done, but we have a certain amount of freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of choice. We can sort of do pretty much what we want to within limits we fought for centuries to achieve these freedoms and some of them are very important but internal freedom is something we maybe haven't looked at our, our, is is our mind free we are in a way enslaved to our thoughts and emotions 
we're enslaved by them we're, in that when our thoughts and emotions are negative we we don't know how to when i say negative that sounds like a value judgment but i mean when we're suffering when we're having thoughts and emotions that seem to be painful or or difficult to handle we don't know how to free ourselves from that so i think meditation is a journey of internal freedom it's how it's learning to be free my experience of meditation has definitely helped with that and I just think it's, I just think it's so fascinating, um, looking at, looking at that. Um, so I really appreciate you talking about it. Um, you talk at length about the need for compassion in your book. You say all things are linked and connected, which means everything and everybody depends on others. All the objects we use, such as our food and clothing have been made for us by others. If everybody even unknowingly has supported our our lives, we owe them a huge debt of gratitude. And this is something that I have been thinking about a lot and quite deeply over the past year. Um, especially actually in terms of fashion and also the pandemic, because I obviously think about fashion and fair fashion frequently. Um, But that really rang true for me when I think about, you know, the hoodie that I'm wearing, I think about how it started as a crop. And then I think about the crop being picked and then how it's been kind of cut and sewn and packaged and shipped. And it's gone through so many hands in order to get to my body where I'm wearing it. Um, And I think this is so, so important and useful for us to think about. So how, what are the kind of tools that you would share with us to help us kind of make this connection and also practice this gratitude, I guess, to all the ways that the pandemic has proved that we are so interconnected? That is so true, isn't it? The pandemic has really shown us that. It's shown us how much we depend on each other for our survival. This virus is obviously a terrible thing and many lives have been lost and there's been a lot of suffering. But it's also taught us something about how much we rely on each other and can we take that lesson in a positive way? I mean, right now we're we're trying to protect each other. It's it's no good just trying to protect yourself from the virus. That doesn't work. It's it's a community thing, isn't it? I, I find it fascinating how you know you read about wearing a mask and how that is very much about protecting others, not only yourself. It's a two way thing. So if, if I put a mask on, I'm doing that to protect others, and I trust that they're putting a mask on to protect me. And when I wash my hands and all these little rituals we do now every day with pandemic living, it's very much about protecting everybody around us as well as ourselves. And it's shown us how we depend on each other. It's shown us how interdependent we are. And in my book, I talk about this quite a lot where I take it down to basics. I talk about even the act of breathing. Every breath we take depends on an exchange with the plants and trees around us. It's an exchange of you know carbon dioxide and all of that. So they depend on us, we depend on them. We're living in a very individ- individualistic culture now where it's all about the self. It's no, not so much about the tribe or the community, it's about the self. But that self is only such through dependence on its environment. We, this self only exists because of others and vice versa. We, we are inter- interdependently existing. 
And you asked about tools and you mentioned gratitude. And I think that's the key. I think we can actually train in recognizing that link. I think you can wake up each morning and you can train yourself in gratitude. You can think about three or four things you feel grateful for and that, and trying to carry that feeling of gratitude to, throughout your day. And then tomorrow you can think of three new things. And as you mentioned, you know, every time you eat a bowl of rice or every time you put on a shirt, you can think, wow, this, this, a lot of work has gone into this. A lot of people have toiled in fields and, and suffered as well to create this. And we owe them gratitude. And I just think it opens your heart. I think thinking in that way opens you up to wanting to be more socially responsible, helping others, connecting with others, doing good for the world. It, it changes the dynamic from selfish to altruistic. And I think we need that because we're in a culture that constantly tells us to be selfish. And that hasn't worked. It's just made us more unhappy and made the world more unhappy. Selfishness is something that just doesn't work out in the end. No, it's a lose-lose situation because the more selfish I become, the more unhappy I become. The more altruistic and compassionate I become, the more happy I will become and others will become. That's a win-win. Firstly, that was really beautiful. Thank you. I remember when I, I, was, I was such a fast fashion addict and I would always be trawling through high street shops and making orders online in a kind of bid to buy clothes that I thought were going to make me someone else or make me feel a certain way. And there was like a very clear moment the last time I went to Zara and bought three things that I absolutely didn't need. And I got home and I tried them on and I just thought, this is not filling me. This is, this is, this has made me feel worse than I felt before I bought them. This is not satisfying me. And ever since then, I feel like I've been, you know, obviously it's a work in progress and you, you know, you fail and you pick yourself up back up again. But I've been consciously trying to kind of think about, no, that might not fill you. Think about the things that actually make you feel fulfilled and calm and happy. Yeah, I think it's about realizing that happiness is a, a skill of the mind. It's not about how many pieces of clothing you have or how many cars you have in the driveway. In fact, sometimes the more you have, the more dissatisfied you feel. Uh, and I talk a lot about how the search for happiness from external objects, using external objects to give us happiness, becomes an endless hunger. Because the more you search, the more you're creating the habit of searching. And that's why we go shopping. And so I think the shift comes when you recognize that happiness is your own mind and how you can train that in moments of peace and clarity and kindness, kindness towards yourself. I mean, that's a major thing, being compassionate towards you as well as towards others. These are all trainable skills of the mind. And I, I don't think it, it, it's about just forcing ourselves to be less materialistic. I think it's about finding something else within that's much more interesting. Mm. connecting with your own heart and being more fascinated by the, the power of your own mind so that materialistic living starts to become secondary to that and quite meaningless. And we need it to a certain extent. We have to, you know, put food on the table, pay our bills. We're locked into that structure. So, okay, play the game, but with less of a, less of a need. But I think telling everyone we've all got to be less grasping less materialistic that just doesn't work we, we need to show ourselves and each other how to find something more beautiful inside inside the mind and then external things become less of a less dependent on those things 
After speaking with my community, a lot of people have told me that they have found the promise of the ease of lockdown and the kind of freshest week that may be on the 21st of June actually quite overwhelming. This year for a lot of people has been very traumatic. What advice would you have for people who are feeling traumatized perhaps by the events that have unfolded over the past year and also pretty nervous about what might be to come and whether or not they have to conform in a way that they were before that just wasn't wasn't serving them I think the main advice is to live in the moment I thought you were going to say that yeah well to really be be here in this in this this now because we are living in a very strange reality where everything is on schedules now we've got this unlocking procedure over the next few weeks and months and we're ticking off the days i mean what are we ticking off the days for we what what is it we're waiting for oh, 21st of june okay then what okay 21st of june then okay people start i don't know having dinners and parties but then what's the next thing what's the next thing on the schedule oh christmas is coming or there's always something around the corner that we're living for and it means that when we get to that thing, we're still not living because we're busy with the next thing. We have this endless habit of scheduling our happiness for later, scheduling the party for tomorrow. You this know what is I mean? Me. I'm, I'm listening like, yes, this is what I do. But right now we can, we, we can just, you know, smell the flowers in the garden and look at the sunlight and be thankful that we're, we're here and that we're alive and we're breathing. And I think med- meditation, especially these little rituals of daily moments of mindfulness, I mean, even while you're washing your hands, you can wash your hands mindfully. While you're cooking or while you're cleaning or while you're walking, you can do these things with mindfulness, which means you're training yourself to be present. And through that, you're counteracting this constant habit of racing ahead to the next thing and worrying about the next thing. And like you say, some people are excited about the ease of lockdown. Some people are terrified. Some people are nervous. But that's all in the future. Right now, we can prepare for that by learning to be really present, which means when we get to June or July or whatever it is, we can enjoy that for what it is and, and not be so frightened of it. Yeah. This feels like a very good moment to ask you, and feel free to say no, because I definitely did not ask you ahead of the interview. Would you be interested in perhaps taking us through a short mindfulness exercise to always I'm I'm always interested in that (laughs) (laughs) yay okay let's do it right now so everyone listening can just sit how they're sitting on a chair or on the floor however you are and just take a moment to bring your focus to your own body and really feel grounded Feel the connection between your your body and the chair you're sitting on or whatever's under you. Feel the ground under you. Feel the earth under you. So you can have your hands resting on your legs or resting in your lap. And change your focus now to your hands, your fingers. Feel them resting against the clothing that you're wearing mindfulness is very much about direct perception of the present moment directly experiencing the sensations of here and now so feel the contact between your skin and the fabric of your clothing 
Bring your focus up to your body, your chest, your belly, your abdomen area. Feel the stillness there, but also feel the movement, the movement of the breath. Just breathe very naturally. You don't have to breathe deeply or slowly. Just let your breath be how it is. But feel how your breath makes your body move like a wave, like a wave moving in and out on the beach, lapping the shore. Your chest or your belly just contracts and expands rhythmically with each breath. Don't hold the breath, don't manipulate the breath, just let it be natural. And when your mind shoots off into thoughts, distractions, don't get frustrated, just bring it back. The mind drifts away and you can just gently coax your attention back, invite your attention back to your breathing. Just be focused on the breath in the present moment. And now to finish, it's always good to take a moment to anchor yourself in a state of love, kindness and compassion. So just take a moment to make a very deep wish or prayer or a feeling of may I be happy, may others be happy, may there be peace in this world, may I contribute to that peace, may I find ways to spread love and kindness in this world. Just let that be your intention at the, at the end of the session. And stop there. That was incredibly short, but I think it's meaningful to just learn that it can be easier than you think. You know, people think you have to meditate for hours and hours, and of course that's great. I'm not su suggesting that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, well, prob we probably won't do that, so why don't we instead do five minutes here and there, but regularly, and that will have an effect. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I really, I loved that. I feel like a new, I feel like a new interviewer. <laughs> Excellent. This moment is a new moment. We can start again now. <laughs> <laughs> and from the top. Um, no, I'm not going to put you through that. We're going to go from uh, zero to 60 now. I would love to do a quick fire round with you. Oh, this sounds fun. Quick fire with Tipton. Breakfast, lunch or dinner? Dinner. Tea or coffee? Tea. Meditation or mindfulness? Can I say both? <laughs> you can. Toast or crumpets? I do like a bit of toast. <laughs> In the trees or by the sea? Oh, by the sea. Candles or incense? Candles. Fresh cut flowers or houseplants? Oh, flowers. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram, because there's beautiful pictures. Film or TV? TV. Podcasts or books? Books. Routine or spontaneity? Both. 
I think they depend on each other. And finally, early night or night owl? Oh, I'm a night owl. I, I, I do a lot of my writing at two in the morning. It's not good. I'm a terrible example of a monk. I should be, you know, <laughs> going to bed early, getting up and meditating. I'm all over the shop. I do. A lot, I really like the nighttime. <laughs> do you think, is that because there's a certain peacefulness to there's it? A stillness. Or you... There's a stillness. Mm. And when when I was living in the monastery, it was very different. You know, we were early to bed, early to rise. And there is that discipline that I found challenging, but very, very helpful and now I'm obviously still connected to the monastery, but I'm not actually physically living there at the moment. I've got my own kind of schedule. And I think it's really important just to do what makes you happy and not give yourself a hard time. So if you if you are staying up late, don't judge yourself. If you're scrolling through Instagram too much, don't judge yourself. Just do it and let it go. I think what we do that's problematic is we tell ourselves we shouldn't be doing this, we shouldn't be doing that. It's all about self-acceptance. And then things get into balance and our addictions start to slightly kind of um, dissipate if we're not giving ourselves such a hard time over them. That's so true. I mean, I should just play that at the beginning of every single episode, that little chunk, <laughs> just because obviously everyone's sharing. They're like, it's been really interesting having some guests who are like, my routine is the same thing every day and it is working like a dream for me. And other people who have just been like, yeah, I'm a little bit chaotic or I don't really have any kind of routine. So I think what you've just said is kind of the crux of the entire series. So thanks so much. Well, and also I think you've got to find out what type of person you are. Because for example, with meditation, some people really are that kind of person who gets up at 7am and does their meditation and it really works for them. And then other people, me for example, find that that becomes stressful because then you miss your 7am session and then you think, oh, I've blown it for today, I'll try again tomorrow. Well, that's a disaster because then tomorrow you're going to do the same thing. So my routine is just to make sure I have certain things I want to do each day and I make sure I do them at some point during the day. And I've had crazy situations where I've done my meditation at midnight before going to bed rather than in the morning. And that's fine as long as I get it done at some point. That's very reassuring. I would love to know, what is one thing that lifts your soul? I am very much a sociable person. I, lo I, I do love being with people. I, I found being in solitary retreat really challenging, but in a good way, because I learned a little bit more about how to be friends with myself. But really what gives me a lot of joy is communicating with others and just having a good laugh with friends and just that kind of joy that I think we can all give each other. What is your one non-negotiable daily self-care habit? Definitely meditation. And it is so non-negotiable that, you know, even if I've been traveling and I, I'm doing a lot of lectures and it's one in the morning, I will do my meditation before I go to bed, no matter what. And I think that that has really helped me um, because there is never a day off from it. And it's not a chore anymore. It's something that's just part of what I do. Love that. Um, is there a book you'd like to recommend to our listeners other than your own? Because obviously that is a <laughs> given and that will be linked in the show notes. But is there a book that you think yeah, people might find list, uh, really useful or something that has kind of proved really useful for you? Can I mention a couple of books? Please. I, I really like a book called When Things Fall Apart and it's by Pema Chudron. I find that book really great. She's an American Buddhist nun, and obviously it's a book around meditation, but it's so accessible. 
It just talks about the kind of attitude that we can have when things are falling apart. And that is an attitude of acceptance, kindness, and compassion towards ourselves and towards others. And then another book that I think is great is, is by Ruby Wax. It's called A Mindfulness Guide for the Frazzled. Such a great title, Frazzled, because I mean, that's what we all are nowadays, isn't it? We're frazzled. And she talks about mindfulness from a very scientific point of view, but also very funny and comedic and easy to easy to absorb. Awesome. Thank you so much for those recommendations. They will be going on my list and again in the show notes. Um, what one small thing would you like our listeners to try out or think about when they're overthinking about all the things past or future that they can't control? I think a, a real breakthrough is when you start to think about how happiness is a choice. It's a choice of the mind. You can choose I mean, that's difficult at first, isn't it? It's, it's very difficult to to um, just believe that. But when you start meditating, you start realizing that you can choose to be in a positive state even in difficult moments because you can choose to take away all the judgment and just relax into the here and now, even if you're in a crisis. I mean, that's what I tried to do when I was very sick with COVID is that even when I was suffocating and gasping for air, I would try to find moments of peace in that in that storm, and it definitely helped me. So you're choosing to be happy against the odds. I think that's that's a valuable lesson. Thank you. And finally, what is one thing that you hope your future self will have achieved? Now, I know thinking too much about the future isn't very on brand for you, but <laughs> I'd love to know if there is something that you, you hope you will have achieved. My passion is to demystify meditation and make it very accessible and get more and more people to get excited about it. So I would love to have really made a difference in the lives of others and got them meditating and got them to have that independence from their in their own minds. I would love to just get that message out there as much as possible into schools, into prisons, into hospitals, into the, our health service. I mean, our, our health service has been so overwhelmed and so stressed. And if I could just help those doctors and nurses and admin staff to meditate and give them that tool, that resource, I think that would be something really valuable. I completely agree with you. I think that is such an amazing mission and one that I, I mean, I feel like you're already achieving and you will no doubt achieve. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm so delighted that we got this in the can and just very, very grateful for you and your time. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to meet up with you again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, you are more than welcome to leave the show a five-star review. This really, really helps me get the word of the podcast out there. And be sure to share the episode with a friend who you think might enjoy it. And you can always do a little screenshot of the show and share it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Venetia Lamanna and at ATST Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.